Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A midweek vancast in the wake of a frantic 24-hour period for the Vancouver Canucks. Drancer, uh, like, the Canucks might run out of money, but they weren't going to run out of time this year. I'm telling you, today feels to me like an orchestrated organizational response to what happened last October, the last time we all went down Free Agency Boulevard. It is incredible how different this is than last year, right? Like, last year, the Canucks scrimped and saved they shared an ahl affiliate like everything was done by the skin of their teeth budget wise every contract was max backloaded uh something that came into play you know this offseason when they tried to move Braden holby uh and this year they completed 18 contracts like if you include the garland <laughs> extension jpat how crazy is this teams are only allowed allowed to have 50 spcs at any given time the canucks signed over a third of the SPCs that they will carry next year, the SPC being standard player contract, in a 24, 28-hour like span of business. Um, it's almost dizzying. And I think that's that's why, like, the second question I asked Jim in the availability was, like, how do you how do you summarize this, right? Like, what's your – what were you trying to accomplish? Because in some ways, this news has all come down so quickly and so furiously that it's almost hard to step back from it and make sense of all the moving pieces that have kind of unfolded in front of our eyes over the course of the past two weeks, really, since they made the Dickinson trade right before the roster freeze. Yeah, and then fast forward a few days, uh, starting with the draft, and then out of the draft, the buyouts began. And really, when I think back to, uh, I've lost track. I mean, we're recording this after Jim Benning's availability on Wednesday, so Tuesday, it started with the Braden Holpe buyout, the Nate Schmidt trade, uh, Connor Garland contract in there. Then sort of out of nowhere comes the Danila Klimovich contract. And then all of these free agent signings on free agent day and against the backdrop of what went on last October, like credit words do here. Like this front office, I thought executed focus and finesse 
They were able to multitask, move from one item to the next with a fair bit of pressure. And look, we can debate. We'll get into it uh, in terms of individual signings. But you mentioned the volume. It was incredible. And, you know, it looked hectic on the outside. I don't know what it was like on the inside there. But I sort of have this idea in my head of Jim Benning, and I hear it in his voice, uh, Benning reading everything that you have written over the past week, Tom, and saying to himself, Brands, you think you've been busy? That's nothing. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've kept me busy, though, right? Like, they're, <laughs> oh, you know, totally. it's not like you, you write a piece and then they're like, well, we're buying out Holtby and we've extended Connor Garland. And you're like, well, fuck. I mean, that... That's a, that's a lot. Like that's, you know, you've rid yourself of a $5.7 million salary commitment, reallocated 3.8 million of salary cap space on your cap. And then also extended a guy for a $25 million contract. And then I write that piece and it's like published for an hour and they trade Nate Schmidt, right? Reallocating another like 23 million in salary cap space. It's just like, holy shit. Like, you know, it's incredible before this offseason, the Canucks had not made a deal that shed significant salary in the offseason. So not including like Burroughs going to Ottawa at the deadline, right? Since they traded Bieksa to the Anaheim Ducks in 2015. And this year, this year at one point, they reallocated $24.8 million in space, over a quarter of their $81.5 million uh, allotment of cap space that was committed to Brayden Holpe, Jake Vertanen, Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Jake Vertanen, right? Not a, not a meaningful contributor among them. They reallocated that down to $12.76 million in salary cap space prior to the opening of the market today. That was allocated to Connor Garland, a really good top six forward, a top line caliber forward, frankly. Oliver ekman Larson, whatever you think of him, better than any of the names that I read above, except maybe Nate Schmidt. And, you know, they did it at the expense of a first, a second, and a seventh, although they, you know, also got a third coming back the other way for Schmidt. So, you know, that's that's the type of sequence that you're right. Like, it shows a level of dexterity that the club just did not hint at last offseason, right? When we got the ran-out-of-time offseason, right? Like, this was not an offseason in which they ran out of time. They... they, they they were masters of the clock this time around. Credit to them. Yeah, and and it wasn't just that last October free agency. I mean, free agency has crushed them the last bunch of years. Usually when it's on July 1st, all those contracts that you just mentioned, like, had they shown this sort of de- dexterity in years gone by, you know, for the most part, shorter term contracts, uh, some bets on guys that, you know, have upside still. Like, there were the things that people have been screaming for for years, and it's taken a long time, but here we are. Uh, it was funny because I had a VIP drop me a DM a couple hours before we were recording. And he, he asked, like, how are you guys going to cover everything the Canucks have done in one podcast? And I was like, I don't know. We'll give it our best shot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot. I loved your Klimovich question, by the way. Like, I literally, I was on mute, so you don't know this. But you asked the question, and I like, you know how when you, after you've gone, you kind of like zone out until you hear something that perks your interest? You yes, know what I mean? Yes, like, I do. I do, um, yes. And, uh, and so I was sitting there in that, like, half-interested slump, um, you know, recording the audio to, to listen back later. And you asked the question, I perked up, and I said, I, I literally said at my muted laptop, I said, great fucking question. Great fucking question. <laughs> I legitimately said that. And and so, I, I, I mean, I've got takes on Klimovich. I've got weird takes on Brandon Sutter's AAV. There's no order. There is no order to any of this. There's well, so sh- much. It's like So, so yeah, let's go with Klimovich right. because, you know, like we knew that they had reached out to the agent already. And again, this is a second round pick. I know it was their first pick of the draft, but you don't see a second rounder generally the first guy in his draft class signed by an NHL team. But that is in fact the case. Uh, I saw Zachary LaRue has since signed. So, uh, Klimovich is no longer alone, but, um, you know, there were, I, I think there was some internal concern. There had to be. I mean, they've been down this road with, uh, Pod Colson, obviously, and the fact that, you know, he wasn't under their control. He was under the thumb of his KHL team, and they didn't like the way he was handled. And Jim that looms large here. That and looms Jim, so large. Right. And, and Jim used the word control a couple of times, and then he talked about options for him from Abbotsford to the KHL to 
uh, Ren Aranda, who owns his rights in the Quebec Hockey League. But this guy signed, and it does allow the Canucks some control. I think it'd be pretty cool if he was ready to play in Abbotsford. I don't think he's an NHLer yet. I mean, there's a lot of refining to do with him. But, you know, for the fan base in Abbotsford, that would be a bone, man, if uh, he shows up there in his first season after being drafted. Well, he'll find his level. He'll find his level. But the yep. Vasily Podkolzin, like, make no mistake, the Vasily Podkolzin experience is what, um, you know, looms large over this, right? It took them a long time to get Podkolzin out. Um, you know, they, they'd hoped that maybe things would work out so that they could get him at some point last season. Um, yeah, it, you know, he didn't, they had no control over his development. They were not able to dictate what type of ice time he got or even sort of ask you know, like they had no influence, right? They, they were just left to their own devices. And this is the organization's top prospect. Like this is a guy that I think is going to get a look. I bet is going to get like a bold look in the top six on day one of training camp. I, that's just my gut feeling. It's just so in line with Travis Green's MO, right? Like if you're going to give someone the Pedersen shot or the Hughes shot or the, or the Hoaglander shot, like isn't it Pod Colson, right? This is a crucial piece for this Canucks organization. Must have been incredibly frustrating to draft a player, you know, have him develop sort of the way you want and just have no control over it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked that they rushed this one or got this one done quickly. Not that it was rushed, but that they made it a priority to get it done. And now he can come to camp and find his level. If he's ready for the NHL, I, don't, I doubt it. But sure, if he's if he's capable of playing in the A, and here's the thing, right? It's not just like he can't be capable of playing 10 minutes a night and have that be worth it. You know what I mean? Like he needs to be a second-line player, first-unit power play at worst in the AHL to warrant keeping him around. But if he's ready to do that, sure. Otherwise, I do think, you know, you want him to go to the queue, ideally. Maybe, maybe to, um, maybe to, you know, the, um, excuse me, maybe to the K. But ideally, you probably want him in major junior. That's my, that's my gut feeling. But you let him find his level, and either way, you at least now get a, Get, get to put your hand on the wheel a little bit and steer him toward a development situation that makes sense for your organization. I, I mean, yeah, that, that, honestly, a really important step, I think. And the fact that they were able to get it done with no drama, you know, that's that's important and typical of a lot of the work they've got done over the past week. Yeah, and I think they, I'm with you. I think they want him in North America. So whether it's Abbotsford or whether he does go uh, and play in the queue, uh, rack up the points like uh, so many guys do in the Quebec Major Junior League, I just think that uh, it's sort of keep away at this point um, from, you know, any sort of plan that might take him to a place that the Canucks don't want him. So uh, Jim used the word control, and I think that's kind of what all of this was about. All right. Uh, again, there's no real script for this because there's so much going on. And Jim said in his availability, there's more to come. <laughs> don't send money yet. There are more signings still, uh, depth ones. Um, they're going to run out of paper. Uh, to put to print those contracts on, <laughs> and I think that's a real concern. The, manpower, the like, paper <laughs> budget around Rogers Arena. Let's start with some no, familiar no, faces. No, J- no, no, J- Pat. That was a concern last year. <laughs> ah. Yeah, that's true. Taps are on. Yeah. Uh, what was Clearly. with the grinding? What was with the grinding of Travis Green for all those months? Like, they're, he's probably wondering that. But anyways, he got his deal, uh, and it seemed everybody got their deal today. Let's start with familiar faces, and then we'll move on to some of the newcomers that sure. uh, the Canucks are bringing into the organization. But you mentioned Sutter, and you know, so rarely is anything universally received well uh, on Canucks Twitter, but especially Brandon's- when it comes to Sutter. But Brandon Sutter for one year at a million plus, yeah. and everybody loves it. Like, it was hilarious. Like, the reaction, I, th- I thought it was fun. And, and I'm in that camp because I, I think that's the right fit and the right price point as a fourth-line center, uh, penalty kill, right shot, face-offs, all those things. We know what Brandon Sutter is. It was always the contract. But at a million plus, yeah, absolutely. Bring it totally. on. Well, so there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, you know, I think the – only concern that you have with Brandon Sutter is do you get the 82 games out of him, right? Like, do you sure. get the yeah, 82 fair. games totally out fair. of Sutter? But this team, you know, when you look at Dickinson, a lefty, Pedersen, a lefty, Miller, who takes draws, a lefty, Bo Horvat, a lefty, even though Miller's faceoff move plays better on his weak side, you know, they needed a right-handed faceoff guy. Like, that was step one. Like, that was a crucial thing for them to accomplish. And those options were scant, right? Like you're really looking at Sutter, re-signing Sutter, or you're looking at, 
you know, Glenn Denning, or like you get into you get into some players you really don't want to watch really quick. Um, considering what Sutter can do offensively, and I know he's limited a little bit in terms of how he sees a little, he's limited in terms of how he sees the ice, <laughs> but he he can sh- he can shoot like one hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. Sutter is a guy who can give you special teams value on both on, on both sides of the puck, although you don't ideally want him on PP two, and he can give you ten goals for sure while winning a lot more draws than he wins in the defensive end on your fourth line. Like that's a uh, slam dunk mil- one million, four million bucks. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's you know that's a huge, a hugely good fit for the Canucks. And what's interesting to me too is his cap hit mirrors exactly the amount that can be buried in the American League. Now, Sutter is not going to go to the American League at any point, right? Like Sutter is on this Canucks team, one hundred percent. There's too much regard for him as a leader and as a guy, um, you know. Plus, they're going to want him to play. They're going to need what he can do uh, in terms of some of the yeoman's work that they need at the bottom of the end of the lineup. But what it really does is in the event that a player of any, you know, a player making more than a million were to be sent to the American League or the Canucks were to sign another, you know, $1.2 million player and that player didn't work out, they send them to the American League. And then Sutter gets hurt, right? Like, this is the key thing. The amount of any buried contract above, you know, 1.125, if Sutter is at any point to go on LTI, that player can just be recalled and it's a perfect fit for the replacement, right? right? Like this is, they've honestly structured injury insurance for Sutter into the AAV of this deal. And that's, again, the type of like language within a language of NHL contracts. Like that, again, is the type of thing, like I saw that and I was like, that's excellent. Like, that's so clever from a roster management standpoint. And, you know, there's there's some deals that I'm going to pan as this podcast goes along, but that was the type of, uh, that's the type of subtlety. (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) That's the type of subtlety, right, that that I like, that I have, like, eureka moments. I'm like, that's smart management. I like that. Good, good, good move. Forward thinking. And there just haven't been a ton of moves that this organization's made since I've come back. Right, uh, that I got to say that. About. So yep. you know, no, credit that to is, them. I thought it made a ton of sense. It does, and that's a great point. And that again, another example of you know planning and finesse, and then ultimately execution on the part of the Vancouver Canucks. Now, Travis Hamonic, two years at three million per, you know, more than doubles his salary. Is there some familiarity there? Sure. Is there the hard scrabble edge to his game that they like? Jim again talked about wanting to get tougher. Just watch the Montreal Canadiens with their. Uh, Redwoods on defense and and sort of that's the play. Uh, I'm not sure that I like Hamonic as a $3 million guy who's probably going to play higher in the lineup than he ought to at this stage of his career, but there seemed to be a comfort zone. We know that Travis Green was pushing for him before that COVID training camp, and it sounded like the two Travises uh, had the mutual uh, admiration society. So Travis Hamonic is back with a raise, and Luke Shen returns, another guy that you know, apparently Travis Green was sort of pushing for, and I have no problems with Luke Shen at 850 as a depth guy, and a depth guy with not a lot of mileage on him because he hasn't played much the last no. couple of years down in Tampa. So, you know, do I want Travis Hamonick and Luke Shen in the lineup together? Probably not, and I'm not sure that they necessarily would be if you were drawing up a depth chart, uh, but we'll get to Tucker Poolman. Uh, and we know that Tyler Myers is in the mix there. But again, Shen is a depth guy, not a real issue. And especially one that hasn't played a lot. It's not like he's got a ton of wear and tear, um, you know, from his time in Tampa since he was last here with the Canucks. But Hamannick at three for the next couple of years? Dicier eh. than I'd like. It's yeah. it's one year too long and one million too much for a bet that I would have said perfect, right? Like Hamannick at two million, I'm, I'm saying perfect. I'm saying great. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, Hamannick at three times two, I'm saying that's a million too much uh, a year too long. But, you know, considering their needs on the right side, you can understand it. And and this is where let's let's sort of fold this into, into Pullman. Because one thing I'd say about Hamannick is on his own, I'd say that's a sensible bet on the grounds that before last season, Hamannick, you know, had not played hockey in 13 months because of injury and the COVID outbreak, right? Um you know, he came in and he had eight really bad games to begin with. Then he got injured. 
And when he came back, he played okay, right? Like, he, he seemed to be finding his stride a little bit as the season went on before the COVID outbreak. And then everything that came came afterwards, I'm not even evaluating. So Right, so he had the month of March. He had the month of March, which I thought, you know, this guy, lay, maybe, this, maybe he was there's fine. something yeah. there. Maybe there's something there. Um, Demko, Demko was really good in the month of March, though, too. No, totally. But but the underlying Zonhamonic, they weren't good, but they were... Certainly better than I'm the interested, start of the season. I, there's enough there that I'm interested in seeing what it looks like. I'm fair probably enough, not interested totally in committing fair. two years to that, to that bet, but there's a bet there that I don't entirely loathe, right? Um, now let's go to Pullman. Pullman played matchup minutes with Josh Morrissey for a Jets team that you know what I thought about that Jets team, right? I, I watched a yes. lot of that Jets team. <laughs> I did not love their game. One of the reasons I didn't love their game was their defensive coverage. The chief culprits that surrendered a ton of chances against were the Morrissey-Pullman pair that I just absolutely detested. Uh, the Jets just went and paid a lot of futures, or two seconds and, and a third, but a lot of cap space to upgrade from that group for good reason. And the Canucks are committing four years to you know a guy who I view as a... One million, one year player, and so you know there's a fair bit of, um, you know, like lost value there for me, and 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 for all of that, here's what I'd say, Jay Pat: their needs on the right side were so significant, were so significant that if they'd made one of those deals, right, if they'd done Hamnick at two three or two years times three million, and if they or that if they'd done Pullman at four years times two five. I still would have said, hey, a little bit rich, but when you have those types of needs on the right side, you need to do something like that, right? Um, instead, what I feel like they did is they took on just a little bit too much risk overall for a little, for a far too little upside for what Hamannick and Pullman could be if they absolutely hit. Like, if they absolutely hit, what are you getting here? You're getting two fringe second pair guys. Like, that's the best case scenario. At $5.5 million combined... And with a, with a lot of term for, you know, like Pullman till he's 32 and Hamannick till he's 30, what, four, 33, 33. something like that. 33. Yeah. So, you know, I just, for me, the risk profile there is a little bit out of whack. Like it's just, there's not enough upside. Um, there's not enough upside for the value spent and the certainty that you're bringing in, right? The certainty that like what of, of having credible NHL players in that spot just isn't worth the squeeze for me in terms of how I analyze it um, versus, versus, you know, some of their downstream bets on the right side, which I liked Langley's Kyle Burroughs. That's a, that's a bet. I like, I think that guy could maybe even be an NHL player, Brady keeper. I think that guy could maybe be an NHL player. Uh, some concerns about his feet. I don't have those. I think he's an NHL level skater. I think he's an extraordinarily aggressive player. He's the type of person that's going to make it, but you know, his skills are a little bit raw. There's some development to go there, and there's a variety of reasons for it. Uh, and Luke Shen, you know, I, I'm okay with Luke Shen in my lineup every night at 850K, especially if I've got two puck-moving lefties like Quinn Hughes and Jack Rathbone or even Brad Hunt, you know, sort of slotted into my left side. Like, he can be a caddy for a guy like that on an, in an, on an everyday basis for a team that's not the Tampa Bay Lightning in my view. Um, I, so, you know, I like all of their downstream bets. I just, and I, and I even understand the top stream bets. What I don't understand is the duplication of expensive commitments to right side defenders that I just don't see being more than four fives at this stage. Yeah. I touched base with a guy that covers the Jets and, and watched him on a nightly basis talking about Pullman. And the note he sent me was real solid third pair guy who was force fed yeah. into playing top minutes. Uh, for a lot of the time with Morrissey, he said he did a nice job on the third pair with Stanley, Logan Stanley in the round in the first round against Edmonton, says at 28, still relatively inexperienced at the NHL level. Now, the thing that jumped out at me, Tom, was Tucker Pullman played 39 games this past season. Yeah. For the Winnipeg Jets. He had one assist and one penalty. Yeah. Well, like, and I that, know. like low event doesn't even begin to like, how do you play 39 games as a defenseman in the National Hockey League and not leave your mark somehow, some way on the games you played? With some secondary assists, even, right? Like, especially Something, with that counterattacking Jets team. That, yeah, no, I mean, and, and here's the other thing about Pullman is he does take some stuff off the table in terms of what his teams generate with him on the ice. Like, there is, you know, um, like, 
I always said this about Chris Tanev too. Chris Tanev was a absolute god defensively, but there were a, there were at times in his career where his teams didn't generate as much with him on, and you know that's okay. Like that's okay. There that's okay so long as it's priced into their deal, right? And in Pullman's case, I guess it is. Like he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be a quality second pair guy at a two point five million dollar cap hit for the Canucks to get value out of him. But he does have to be an everyday caliber defenseman who doesn't hurt them. And there's a chance. There's a chance, but it's just it's a little rich for my blood, both in terms of term and and, and treasure. Uh, but again, at least the cap is somewhat manageable. Uh, that's sort of the best thing I'd say. And, and and their need on the right side was significant enough that I have time for one of those bets, but not both. I think you make one of those bets, and then look, look who's left over on the market today. Has Yanni Hackenpay signed? I don't think so, right? No. Um, no. Jason Demers, uh, Mark Pesic, like there were other guys you could have brought in at a 750 or 800K or, you know, max a million dollar cap hit that I think you are, are, you know, equal bets to give you roughly what you're likely to get from Hamannick and Pullman. I just would have liked to see the Canucks take a more conservative approach there. I just think they took on too much risk for too little upside and didn't get enough certainty in the equation. So knowing what we know, I mean, what's the, the depth chart for this Canuck defense look like? Still two months away from training camp, but is it Hughes and Hamannick? Do we think that Hamannick just gets that that spot with Quinn Hughes again? And then I, I is it OEL, so, right? OEL and Myers? I don't think so. Why would it, why would anyone think OEL and Myers? Well, OEL and Pullman then, or OEL yeah, and OEL and Pullman? I think that that's how I pencil it in. I mean, and then Myers stays as that we you know he looks yeah. like he's a third pair guy on the depth chart, but he'll kill penalties. He might be on the second unit. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Uh, but more than anything, he's just not going to be the matchup guy. Like, we've seen Myers play for two years for this team. And, you know, you'd understand when Tanev was in town why the Canucks didn't use him in in matchup in a matchup role, right? Like, Tanev playing the toughs, that makes sense. But Tyler Myers is a player who Travis Green seems to have the measure of. He thinks he's a capable defenseman, but he uses him more in offensive situations. Like when the Canucks are trailing, Tyler Myers' minutes spike. When they're holding a lead, Tyler Myers still plays, but he doesn't play nearly as much as when they're chasing, right? Like he's he's never been their matchup guy in two previous seasons. I don't see why he would be now that they went out and spent $5.5 million combined on a pair of guys for whom physical defensive play, you know, is their, is their calling card. Like that doesn't make sense to me. And when you look at the overall calibration, too, of Hughes and, and Rathbone, I think we can feel pretty confident that in the event that Rathbone wins that job, and, and we'll get to this later because it's, yeah, I don't think it's Rathbone's job. This is not, I'm not writing Rathbone into the lineup in Sharpie, even though I do think he's got the inside track. Um, you know, those guys aren't going to be used in matchup minutes, which means it's going to be Oliver ekman Larson, which means the Canucks are going to want to play Oliver ekman Larson with a guy who can also handle that. There's just very little in their deployment of Tyler Myers over the years that suggests to me that he's going to be their first choice over the likes of Hamannick and Pullman. So I could see I could see either Hamannick or Pullman playing with OEL, but I don't think they're going to play Myers with Hughes, and I don't think they're going to play Myers with OEL unless... In, in, in Unless they sign another lefty who wins the job out of camp instead of Jack Rathbone, like unless it's, you know, I, I mean, even Brad Hunt, they're not going to play Brad Hunt matchup, like they're they're not. So no. it's going to be OEL in matchup, and he's going to play with one of the guys that they feel are capable of handling that better than Myers. Um, you know, I I would at this point write the depth chart in as Hamnick Hughes going right to left, which is counterintuitive. Excuse me for the you know I'm doing the I'm doing it's like a it's like one of those um, uh, Korean comic books. Uh, Hammond Hughes, uh, and then I would expect Pullman, OEL, and then I would expect Myers Rathbone, at, at least in terms of the inside track as it stands today. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yarrow Halak was a name the Canucks have been linked to 
Uh, since Tuesday, and when the free agent window opened, sure enough, the 36-year-old gets himself a one-year bonus-laden contract. I-, I like this deal. I like this deal for a number of reasons, Tom. One is no term, one year for a backup when you got Mikey DiPietro, who's going to play and play a ton in Abbotsford, and DiPietro may earn himself a couple of NHL looks at some point this season. We'll see about that. But you needed a veteran backup, and where Brayden Holpe had some trouble adjusting was coming from east to west, but also going from the guy in Washington to be in the backup. And Yaro Halak has played that role capably. Like, he knows what he's getting himself into. He has shown he's two years removed from a 922 save percentage in Boston. Um, you know, he's 36. So, sure, there's Different a risk of... Different defensive environment, too. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and and look, there's a risk at 36. There's a risk at any player, like whatever the position, uh, but goaltending. But, you know, there's 10 back-to-backs for the Canucks. It's an 82, a return to an 82-game season. Uh, Thatcher Demko has shown at every step that, you know, he's ready to take on more and more. But you got the GM again today doubling down, saying not just, you know, he thinks he's this is a playoff team. He's expecting this to be a playoff team. Like, there is new pressure on Thatcher Demko that he has not experienced as an NHL starter in an 82-game season with all the travel on the West Coast. And so you need a capable caddy. And I, I think they found that in Yarrow Halak. And I'm all right with the way that they structured that deal. So again, I thought this was pretty good work on the part of the Vancouver Canucks front office. Yeah, Yarrow Halak's a pro. And and I'm all right with the way they structured that deal too, because once you buy out Holpe, you have to get, you have to replace Holpe or you don't get the cap benefit. You know, like you have to replace him in a way that, maximizes the flexibility of that 3.8 million in space because you're spending into that space basically when you're buy when you're buying a backup and we saw what happened to the backup market guys were going for two and a half 2.3 for Laurent Brossois who's you know played great in Winnipeg but you know that's 2.3 million for Laurent Brossois like the goaltenders were uh, how much did Morazic get three years times three eight that's the entire space of the Holpe deal like there were not yeah. There were not the guys you wanted at at 1.5 million, which is the cap space that Halak will occupy. Uh, you know, so so they had to get creative, and that made Halak a relatively unique um, target, right? Because he was over the age of 35. You have to be over the age of 35 to have your deal structured the way Halak's was. You also have to be on a one year contract, like it has to be one year. And so they structure this deal. 750k signing bonus for Halak. He'll get make 750k base uh, for the club, and then he's got these bonuses that are relatively easy to reach. Um, you know, he'll he'll make at least 2.75 surely, and probably three million for the Canucks next season. Now, they will pay that 1.5 million a year on, right? So that 1.5 or at least 1.25 plus Holpe's 1.9. They've essentially punted the Luongo recapture one more yeah. season. Like that's yeah. sort of how I'd look at it, or at least how I would like to explain yep. it. Um, the one thing in their favor is that the timeline that Mike DiPietro is on, right. Suggests that they at least should be able to have a cost controlled goaltender. You know, I don't think he'll be on his entry level deal, but he's not going to have a ton of, he's going to have zero NHL experience. So he's going to be affordable. Um, certainly like a, a million ish, but he's going to be a cheap option for them in the event that they have a bunch of money tied up in, you know, dead goalie cap hits from Halak's bonus overage plus, you know, the Holpe bio cost. So, you know, at least it should structure itself so long as DiPietro continues on the path, his the development path that he was on prior to the pandemic, um, you know, that, that at least they should be able to fill that gap on their roster affordably next season. You know, I don't hate that bet because of it. The, the logic, too, of everything they've done like you can't be half pregnant, you know. Once you once you make that OEL Garland swap, you kind of had to buy out Holpe. You kind of had to, you know, you kind of have to keep pushing. Um, once you've structured yourself a certain way, and the Canucks have clearly structured themselves in in, in a way where you know their chips are in the middle of the, the table and they're standing behind their seat waiting to see the river card. Uh, you, you briefly touched on guys like Brad Hunt and. Uh, Brady Keeper, I see since we started recording that the Canucks have signed Justin Dowling, uh, who's been in the Dallas oh, Stars organization. I like that. That's good. Uh, That's a good sign. Two-year contract for him. Uh, interesting that two he played uh, two-year deal with an AAV of 750. I don't uh, see hmm. whether it's two or one. Uh, but interestingly enough, 
he played with the Abbotsford Heat. I wondered uh, who might be a guy that's already been down the road and played some hockey in Abbotsford. Uh, it would seem like Justin Dowling uh, would sort of fall in that category. But again, another depth piece, Nick Patan, a guy that uh, Travis is familiar with uh, in you know their time together Portland, yeah. in Portland. Devontae Stevens, a former Kelowna Rocket defenseman. Justin Bailey back in the fold. I wasn't sure about Bailey. Uh, I, I love his speed. I think most people do. Obviously, coming off the shoulder injury, barely played uh, when he did get his look last year. But uh, Justin Bailey is back in the fold. So again, it was just it was a busy day at the NHL level. It's a busy day uh, at the American Hockey League level. We knew that they had to populate this AHL team out in Abbotsford, and you know it looks to me like they've done a pretty decent job uh, in that regard with some guys that you know I think can push from below. That you know names that we talk about here on the pod, but. You know, you got to have depth in your organization. We know that injuries happen. They seem to happen to the Canucks more than most hockey clubs. And so I think some of these names that we're talking about here today, you know, you will see in a Canuck uniform at some point throughout the season. You got to be good at the AHL level now that it's local. Like, I, all eyes are going to be on it, right? And my understanding is the team's moved some seasons. Like, they've, they've, the product has moved already. You got to deliver something good because. You know, then it's all self-fulfilling. Like, people will want to go, you know. But not just people in the Valley, but people, like, hockey fans might just be like, hey, I, you know, I want to go see a, I want to go see a, they're good. They're winning. Like, they play exciting hockey. Like, Justin Bailey, he, he's incredible. He rushes through everybody. <laughs> uh, they're not wrong, by the way. Justin Bailey's super fun to watch play hockey. So, yeah, you know, I think the, um, I think it makes a ton of sense to have loaded up this way. And if they continue on this path, like, if they continue to be a spending team, in the American League, there's a ton of side benefits that come with that. Like, first of all, you have better depth at the NHL level. Like Nick Patan is a perfect replacement level NHL player. He can play 10 minutes a night for you on your fourth line at left wing or at center, and you're totally fine with that. He's not going to be the reason you lose, you know? Um, they definitely didn't have that last year, J-Pat, right? Like they no, definitely they did, did not have that last no, year. They didn't. Uh, there's other side benefits that come with it, too. Like, any local kids who go take the college route, you know, might be are, are going to view you as a more attractive option to sign with as a free agent if you are running an AHL program that wins, right? Like if you're running an AHL program where they know they're going to have a nice time and like play in a full building and have good facilities, like there, there's benefits there. There's also benefits if you spend like a lot of your draft picks are guys who may or are not going to make the NHL, like are who are going to top out as like good organizational depth. I don't know why this name occurs to me, but you remember Alex Friesen? Like, I do. that level yep. of player. Um, but if you're willing to spend on a, on a Di Giuseppe or a Sheldon Dries, you know what I mean? Like, the leverage of trading picks the way the Canucks have is also lower, right? Like, because you don't need those guys internally or you don't need those guys to be affordable and, and come from sort of internal stock in quite the same way, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of side benefits that come from running your AHL team like this. Hopefully this isn't just like splashy, a splashy one-year thing, but is a sustainable plan that the club has to, you know, build out their overall hockey program in the lower mainland. Um, because if it is, like, yeah, I mean, if you can have Toronto Marlies West as your as your AHL team, like, that, you know, that, there's a lot of benefits that come to it um, in the short and the long term, both, both from like a player development and a player acquisition standpoint. Dowling, Keeper, and Hunt, uh, all one-way contracts, by the way. I see that the Canucks okay. uh, putting that out on Twitter. So uh, Dowling's a 30-year-old, the guy that's been in the Dallas Stars system. Um, and again, a bit of a tweener, but uh, certainly a depth piece uh, for this organization uh, there's just so many things to get into that uh, you know we haven't even scratched the surface yet. I, I, I want to. Uh, is there anything else on any of the signings today, or because uh, I still I want to get to Connor Garland's contract. Uh, we haven't talked about that. Pedersen and Hughes, obviously. Uh, plus, plus Edler and Berchi found new places to play as well. So if there's anything else on no, today's no, let's signings... Move, let's move on to the X's. I like doing the Scott Pilgrim <laughs> Evil X's segment of, right. the, uh, of the podcast. That's, that's where okay. I'm looking to go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Uh, Alex Edler. A lot of talk about, you know, what would he do? 15 years here in Vancouver. Uh, the last tie in terms of on ice to the team that got to the Game 7 of the final. Uh, it's the turn of a page, the end of an era, all that kind of stuff. Was Edler going to handpick a place that would give him a chance to win the Stanley Cup after all these years? And the answer is... Probably, Probably not, not. <laughs> but but a team that's on the come. There's yeah. no doubt a team that's on the move and, and one to watch. And they signed Philip to as well. Uh, but Alex Edler is a Manhattan Los Angeles Beach, King. Yeah, can't blame him. Uh, Cannot blame no. him. No, good for him. That's good fun. That, uh, December sixth, he'll be back for the first time. That's the first time the Canucks and the Kings play. Uh, so he stays in the division and. You know, this is a guy that kind of made a name for himself. His coming out party uh, was that playoff series against the LA Kings way back when. He had the big hit on Drew Doughty, a young Drew Doughty, and now they're, you know, grizzled veterans that'll be playing together. Uh, you know, an interesting choice. Uh, a one-year deal, 3.5 million bucks. So he's getting paid. And, you know, we know that the game is sort of passing him by in terms of the speed, but... Uh, we also know that there is some life left. And, and look, he was adamant. Remember, I think, was it you that asked at that final exit Zoom, yeah. like, do Are you, you intend to play next year? And he basically banged his fist on the table and like, I'm going to play. Uh, and play he will in Los Angeles. Yeah, and let's let's just take a moment for one of the most underappreciated defenders, uh, or players, frankly, in franchise history. Like, this is the greatest Canucks defenseman in history. And his resume doesn't just suggest that it's not really arguable right like it's not really arguable Quinn Hughes will get there I do believe that but at the moment it is not arguable what Edler did in his Canucks tenure uh, stands alone among all defensemen who played for this franchise over 50 years and I don't feel like we ever talked about him that way like we've just never thought about him that way or, or covered him that way or like you know, it was like a dawning realization in recent years that it's like, man, look, this guy's managed now at this point with his longevity and his production and 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 everything. It, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable. So, uh, you know, the Canucks made an offer in and around what he ultimately signed for in LA, right? Like, I I do believe that the Canucks made him an offer north of three, and so that makes it pretty clear, like open shut, that it was time for him, right? Like he. Just wanted to move on. I think once the Ekman Larson deal was done, that was very, very apparent. Uh, but you know, I think the amount that his deal comes in at, especially it being just a one-year deal, makes that you know as plain as day. And you know, good for him. Like it's not, you know, it's not not a bad thing to to go have a new experience late in your hockey career. I do think that LA team having added Philip Deneau is a threat in the Pacific. Like, I think they're a threat to improve really fast. I love the Arvidsson move for them. Uh, Edler, Edler, I mean, we'll see where he plays, but they have a lot of the type of puck-moving uh, righties that can complement him well, I think, if they if they use him in a certain way. He'll certainly help on the penalty kill. There's no questioning that his two-way intelligence is still there. And, you know, best of luck to him. I, again, th- there goes. There goes the greatest defenseman in franchise history, he will be in the ring of honor. None of this is controversial. Anyone arguing otherwise is out to fucking lunch. Um, and, and congrats to him. I, I do think it was time for him. I do think it was time for the organization. And, and you know, I think he picked a, he picked a great place to live and, and a team that, yeah, could be pretty intriguing if things fall their way next year. 
Sven Verci stays in the division as well. It's a two-way deal, so he'll likely start the... I mean, he'll be given a shot, I suppose, to make the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, if he doesn't, he'll just go down the road to Henderson. Uh, that's where their AHL farm team is. There's a chance you could see Sven out in Abbotsford playing against the... Uh, Abbotsford Comets or, or Rogers <laughs> Arena. Why are you writing <laughs> yeah. off? Why are you writing off Sven right. Berchi's chances? That is not. You're right. That is not fair to Sven. I was curious to see how this would all play out for him. What kind of opportunities would present themselves? Uh, he signs a two-way deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. I found it a little ironic because I was there that night at T-Mobile when he got elbowed in the back of the head, and that was the start of his downfall. Uh, with the Canucks. I mean, he was concussed there. He missed a long stretch, came back for a night in Colorado and then disappeared again and, uh, and really was never the same. And, and so, uh, he signs with the team that, you know, kind of started the spiral for his time with the Vancouver Canucks. But, you know, that's a value play for Vegas. Like there might be an NHL player there. And there's certainly a motivated guy. That much we know. So you're right. I am wrong. I'll take the L. Uh, we may see Sven Berchi at Rogers Arena at some point this season. Day one free agent signing Sven Berchi. You know, good for him. Like, the, looks good on him. He's lived in hockey purgatory for two years, you know? And uh, he, he might as well have been on the moon from the way the organization viewed him. Clearly, they used every other player under the sun. Um, and he was on the moon on the other side of the earth, I guess. So he wasn't under the sun. I just realized that I mixed my <laughs> astronomy metaphors there. <laughs> um, you know, Sven Berchi, I just wish him the best. Like I always enjoyed chatting with him. He was always, uh, up for a conversation, gave me some good restaurant recommendations when I went to Utica. Um, just a, just a good dude. I think he's a good player. I legitimately think he's an NHL caliber player still. And that's why I'm not writing him off, right? Like, that's why I'm not why I'm objecting to the Henderson thing. Like, I I think Sven Berchi was a sharp bet, a sharp bet for the Golden Knights. And I'm really curious to see what he does. Hopefully, hopefully his NHL story is not fully written yet. Hopefully he can add uh, a line or two, um, you know, maybe even a chapter or two to, to the story uh, that is his NHL career. Certainly going to be rooting for him. All right, two guys going deep on the Vancouver Canucks, Tom, and we're 45 minutes into this thing, and we haven't even really mentioned. I mean, we, I think we've mentioned their names, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, oh but I, I can hear the, the I can hear the VIPs screaming, "Talk about Hughes and Pettersson!" And Jim Benning certainly did. Uh, I should also mention uh, we always plug other pod options for you here at the Athletic, and you know. We've got one more to come here on the VanCast before this week is through, but there are other pot options, including the Athletic Hockey Show and the Hughes parents. We always talk about Quinn and Jack and Luke. Uh, Jim and Ellen Hughes are the guests of Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on the Athletic Hockey Show this week, so you may want to check that out. And I'm told that uh, they do address the idea of Quinn joining the brothers at some point and the three of them all playing together. Uh, also, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun are going to recap a busy day of free agency on the season finale of Two-Man Advantage. That's the Athletic Hockey Show on Thursday. So you can look for those. But here we are. We got to the free agent uh, window. It opened up. And as we record this, no offer sheet. Uh, so The but, sky is but not the, falling. But, and you wrote about this. The Canucks' actions on Tuesday certainly were those of a team that was scrambling a little to make sure that its ass was covered. Oh, yeah. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. The, the threat of the Pedersen offer sheet loomed over every decision the Canucks made, especially in the week of, uh, especially after the Ekman Larson deal was made, right? Like the moment that happened. Uh, it's why the Garland, it's partly why the Garland contract talks were expedited. Um, good contract outcome there. We can get into that later. We have so much to get into, but the, uh, you know, it was a big reason why that happened. It was a big reason why they bought the guys out that they did. Um, you know, it, I think they were relieved when they were able to find a Schmidt deal on Tuesday, or at least that after, after telling Schmidt that they were happy to have him back, he decided to wave to Winnipeg. He's gotta be the first guy to ever wave to Winnipeg. I like that. He, did he deny doing it? Is that true? I didn't. I've seen I only a few heard, quotes. I only on heard the, Ben Kuzma's was, recap, and and I was right. There was too much going on in the Canucks realm that I, I I would have loved to have been 
because I always enjoy being on a Nate Schmidt Zoom, but I just had too much going on in my own world to check out the Jets uh, introductory Zoom with Nate Schmidt. So I may have to go back and, and listen to it. And here's the other thing to note, too, about like the, the Winnipeg wave thing is like the idea that Nate Schmidt was saying, no, 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 no. You know, it, it didn't work like that ever because he had a 10-team no-trade list, right? Like he just put Winnipeg on it months ago. Never thought about it again, and and the Canucks couldn't complete that deal without permission, right? I mean, it's not he he, he probably was truthful, and and it's just that it needs to be massaged, right? He, he just wasn't considering changing his list. He wasn't explicitly declining deals. So anyway, he he eventually did decide to to accept a trade to Winnipeg because the Canucks uh, threatened to keep him. That was on Tuesday, and you know, so it goes. Uh, Clearing all that cap space, reallocating space the way they did, fundamentally they were building a wall. They were building a security system of, of surplus cap space with which to ward off any Pedersen offer sheets. And, you know, it's not like they were, like, concerned that an offer sheet was coming. You know, it's not like that either. It's like you have to be aware of leverage points against you in the NHL, and this was an extant risk. It's now a risk. Like, the Pedersen offer sheet is a risk that the Canucks will live under until he gets his deal done. And they had to do things in a certain way, especially because of the volume of players that they signed today um, to just make sure that they weren't at any point in a real cap bind um, because of it. Like, you know, it's even like people are like, well, couldn't they just put Furland on off season LTI and free up 3.15 million or 3.5 million in space. And it's like, no, if you have, LTI just doesn't work like that. If you have 20 million in cap space, JPAT, and or let's let's use a lower number. Say you have 10 million in cap space, and the and Pedersen receives a 10.5 million dollar offer sheet, right? If you then put Furland on LTI to open up more cap space, you don't have 13.7 million in cap space. You have 3.5. Like you have the captured space. That's how it works. It doesn't work like cap space. It's not just moving a guy over a column in armchair GM mode on cap friendly. Like it doesn't work like that. So, you know, they had to sequence things and do things a certain way. And that was an obsession that the organization was working under for five days. And, and I, I do think no one was more preoccupied with it than, than Jim himself. Uh, and, and I don't just think that that's, clear from conversations with various league sources uh, and team sources too. So um, yeah, I mean that, that threat loomed large, but they felt that they'd conducted business sufficiently beforehand and obviously felt like they could spend relatively freely, um, you know, on Wednesday, even, even though they now have 20 million in space still, still saved, right? Like they still have the flexibility that they don't need to worry too much about PD um, signing for any amount. They'll, they'll match it regardless um, and that's good. They had to protect their investment. They had to manage that risk. They did so. A- another complex thing they managed to navigate while also improving their roster. Tip of the cap to them. Oh, for fuck's sake, Drance. Now I'm mad at you because uh, I wanted to get to Connor Garland and his contract, but you mentioned Furland and you talked to the guy. I did. So we have to go down this road. You caught up with him on a family vacay in Mexico? I did. Yeah, I called him uh, or I texted him. I <laughs> no, I called him. I called him and he texted me back and said, I'll call you back in 20 minutes. And then he called me and he was in Mexico and, you know, seemed to be doing well, but, you know, he, he's not going to play again and he's not going to play professionally again. I think he'd love to get some skates back on and just like get the rush of playing hockey for fun again, but he's not at that point yet either. And, you know, he's only just starting to feel bad, better from the concussion that he sustained just about 12 months ago now in the bubble. Like he's only just getting back and... That was tough to hear, but it's nice to hear that he's, you know, been able to get on a plane and go on a vacation and and spend time with his family and prioritize that in his life. But yeah, his days as a pro hockey player are effectively at an end. Was he sitting by the pool? Was he on a zip line? Like, was there beach breezes in the background? What, like, he was just on holiday? Yeah, just on <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, okay. I, I could hear the sip of, uh, of Bob McKenzie's margarita <laughs> through the phone. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, let's get to Connor Garland then. <laughs> one last sound effect because, for JPAT. And a gross one at because, that. I'm sorry to our listeners. <laughs> and to our producer who's going to have to like isolate that audio and be like, ugh, terrible. The Canucks, as you said, you know, it wasn't a rush necessarily, but there certainly was uh, some haste in getting the Connor Garland deal done. I mean, they trade for the guy on Friday. 
And here they are locking them down five years. They buy out a couple of years of unrestricted free agencies. There's a cost to that. Uh, a shade under five million per, but they're they're getting them for years twenty five through twenty nine. Uh, you would think that those are you know the good years. And the other one I saw, like a lot of people were like, "Why rush into this if they had gone short term and he lived up to expectations and scored twenty five to thirty goals?" Cha ching! Like to get him and keep that first number under five. Uh, you know, to me, seemed like pretty solid work. Uh, again, you know, week of pretty good work by the Vancouver Canucks. I, I like the stick handling on the Connor Garland deal. 100%. Especially when you look at the comp environment that he lives in, like your average cap hit expectation on a five-year deal would have been something like 5-3, five, 5-2-5, five, five, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, they got a ton of surplus value here. He's a really good bet to provide... 9 to 10 million in surplus value over the life of this deal, according to game score value added, which is Dom LeCision's pro, uh, projection model. And, you know, to get that complex a deal for a player who had a 65-point pace in their platform season, and to do that much better than most of the comps that he was, you know, that his production merited, right? Like, Anthony Mantha's 5'7". Uh, Bjorkstrand in Columbus is 5'4". Um, what's the other guy? What's the other guy? The five four. Um, anyway, the the guys in that in and around that range, like capable fringe top line top six forwards, um, they get paid. They get paid a lot, especially when they scored a sixty five point pace and log first line ice time in their platform years. And so, yeah, no, that was a really really tidy bit of business. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen tidy bit of business used an awful lot here. Well, it became a joke. It, be, it became a joke. Like I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had, um, I, uh, at one point, at one point today, I had a, I had a league contact reach out and say to me, um, you know, you got to use tidy bit of business though. <laughs> like, like, here's some intel, but you got to use tidy bit of business. So I used it, and then I, I did see it becoming, um, but like it, it's, you know. This isn't, we're not all being serious at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's a joke, as far as I'm concerned, and has been a joke for a while. Um, you know, one, one that uh, one that I like to, to make way too much, especially around this time of year. Oh, the, the phrasing is a joke, but <laughs> the Canucks... The, the Canucks did do some serious business yeah, here. For sure. In the last 24 some hours of or it so. Was tiny. so. There you go. And we'll see what, uh, if they're done. Well, they can't be done, obviously, because they got the RFAs. Uh, we are almost done, though. I think we're done for this pod, and again, and we're almost done. Done cover, and we are almost done. Done like Edler, and yeah, except he's gone. I'm not. Uh, we will come back and do this on Friday. <laughs> what do you Friday. mean? You're going to the Kings, King Matt Sakaris and King Blake Price. You're going to the Kings. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be my. That would not be my descriptor for those two. <laughs> the Jokers? <laughs> no. Um, hey, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Anyway, you're, you're, you're about to ride off into the sunset. We have one more episode. What are we even going to talk about? We do. Uh, we'll, well, we'll find little, something, A little maybe. bit of hockey. We'll find something. A little bit of hockey, but we will find something. Absolutely. Uh, be a good way to roll into a long weekend in the month of August and maybe a bit of a, a you know, just a breather for everybody yeah. uh, in the hockey world after uh, a crazy bunch of uh, months and really a year and a half. So uh, before we run here, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month for six months. Uh, tell the VIPs, again, you've been uh, on this bender of uh, production, but uh, what's in the hopper here? What uh, what can the VIPs look forward to in the wake of all that's gone down here today? Winners and losers from free agency will be up shortly, if, if not already, by the time you re- uh, listen to this. And then I'll probably write a big takeaway column just with like lots of scattered thoughts about lots of scattered topics coming out of today. I'm guessing I'll do that after I go crush some beers, though. And then, and then on Friday, we'll update the depth chart to reflect 18 new players that the Canucks have brought in. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then we'll leave, we'll leave the VIPs with that over a weekend. And I will probably go long on that weekend. My wife's been out of town. She's coming back. So I'll be excited to have my whole family back. And then, you know, I'm, 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 you're, you're probably going to see a little bit less of, less of me in August, especially in this space, since, uh, since you're departing as well, j 
got a lot of work to figure out behind the scenes. I'll probably write a couple times a month and, um, you know, I, I might do some one-off like one man pods, uh, before we relaunch and, and, you know, everyone can expect a relaunch at some point in September with a, with a new format and, um, and sort of, you know, what, whatever, whatever else I decide to do. I still haven't, I'm still not over you, Jpat. I still haven't figured that out. So our, our listeners will have to wait. Well, you're, that. you're, sp- you're spilling here because I thought that was going to be one of the things that we talked about on Friday oh, was what is next for the main cast. Oh, but, well, uh, well, there you go. Well, I, I mean, we can talk about that more. I'll flesh it out further. I, I don't. I don't know. Is this the honest answer? So, um, but no, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be fun to send you off well, and, and I'm so glad. And I'm grateful, honestly, that we got to like today ends the cycle of the 2021 league year. It was only a 10 month long league year. But for the Canucks, it was just about as dramatic as it could have been, right? I mean, COVID outbreak, sexual misconduct allegations, uh, you know, disastrous offseason, running out of time, a disastrous season. Um, it's been tough to cover. There have been a lot of arguments, uh, been a lot of gripes about pe- things people have said to me. <laughs> um, we've had some laughs, though. We've had some jokes. And, you know, the fact that we get to complete that cycle and then plus one, I'm really grateful for it. It's been a lot of fun, man. I don't know about you. The cycle for me doesn't end until Yanni Hockenpah signs a contract somewhere. So <laughs> that will be the official the official end to the cycle. For Drancer, this is J-Pat. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, a meaty, meaty edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Yeah.